All right. Welcome, 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 everybody. Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This is Steve Weinberger. I'm the CEO of the foundation, and I am here with one of my favorite people, Jenny Mitchell. Jenny, how you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. Thank you. Jenny, I want, I want to thank you and Bruce for being an episode sponsor for this episode, An Approach to Jazz Harmony on Piano with John O'Leary. It means a lot to us. Well, it is our pleasure to be involved this way. Jenny, you and I have surely had some adventures over the years, have we not? That is the truth, for sure. You are a longtime member of the Jazz Holiday family, and you've been on the Jazz Force team of volunteers in a leadership position, and you now play a very important role on our board of directors. What has inspired you for all of these years to continue to be involved with our organization? Well, it's really been an ongoing love of ours being involved. We we feel so much a part of the community with um, being involved with Jazz Holiday. Um, you know, it was first about um, being involved with a fun event that was really historical for our community. But we grew to realize that people just loved the event. And as time has gone on um, and we've grown, I think that people have really become aware of the even more significant part of our event, and that is um, our education event piece of of Jazz Holiday. Um, Not only are we helping kids to fulfill their dreams with music, but there's other aspects of the event that also um, fulfill a lot of dreams for kids to get the experience and exposure to audiovisual pieces of the event, the culinary piece, and just the event planning. Um, So there's just so much that goes on with Jazz Holiday, and it's just been a joy to be involved with it. Well, you and Bruce are such a special part of the community and the family, and we love you both very much. Thank you for being an episode sponsor. We also thank the podcast series presenting sponsor, Marine Max Clearwater, for helping to present this podcast series. So for all of you listening, please enjoy this episode and approach to Jazz Harmony on Piano with John O'Leary. It's a great one. And Jenny, my best to Bruce, and we'll look forward to seeing you guys really soon. Great. Thank you, Steve, for all you do. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Today's musician and guest educator is John O'Leary. And his topic is an approach to playing jazz harmony on piano. Participants are muted upon entry into these sessions, and we appreciate your cooperation to remain muted for the courtesy of others. If you have a question, feel free to use the chat feature, and we will make sure we get those questions to John. You can also use the raise your hand feature. We hope you enjoyed today's session. There are many more free sessions up at clearwaterjazz.com education. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Feel free to email info at clearwaterjazz.com or if you have a special topic you'd like us to cover, please email info at clearwaterjazz.com. John is a friend of ours. He is a Mexican-American jazz pianist and neuroscientist. Yes, you heard me right. Neuroscientist. He's the pianist for the highly acclaimed trio La Lucha in the Tampa Bay area. John has had a winding path. He was born in the Yucatan Peninsula where he started piano lessons at the age of three and played classical piano until the age of 12. Once in the United States, he picked up on the tuba in the concert band and continued to develop his musicianship through high school. As a tuba player, he was selected to perform in the Allstate Concert Band and attained superior ratings in the state level solo performances. As a pianist, he played in the Zephyr Hills Jazz Band and went with the band to the state band competition. In the 2002 Lakeside Jazz Festival, John was awarded Best Piano Soloist. He attended the University of South Florida, where he studied tuba, jazz piano, and, in his spare time, biochemistry. 
He graduated cum laude with a bachelor with a BA in jazz piano performance, a minor in tuba performance, and honors thesis in biochemistry. He toured Italy and France with the USF Big Band and Jazz Tet Combo playing in the 2007 Umbria Jazz Festival and Juan Les Pins Jazz Festival. As a member of these bands, he has played with jazz greats. As a scientist, John completed his PhD in neuroscience at the University of South Florida, where he is the recipient of the Ruth L. Kirstein Predoctoral Fellowship from the National Institute of Neurological Disease and Stroke. John's dissertation research examines a group of proteins called chaperones, I hope I got that right, John, and their effects on the development of neuro neurological diseases like Alzheimer's disease and stress-related psychiatric diseases. The depression component of his research was highlighted by the post-publication peer-reviewing agency Faculty of 1000, which places the article in the top 2% of all published articles in the biological and medical sciences. That is awesome. John has been an invited speaker at the Society for Neuroscience, Midwestern Stress Response, and the American Chemical Society conferences, and he is an all-around awesome person, one of my favorite people, and a killer piano player. John O'Leary, welcome to Clearwater Jazz Holiday's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. The stage is all yours, my friend. Here, let me unmute you, John. Hold on a second. Okay. All right. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. It's really an honor and a pleasure to be here. Um, so this course is about jazz, harmony, on the piano. So I'm really excited because as a pianist, uh, one thing that we do a lot is play harmony. And so the first thing we can start is with what is harmony? And so if, we, if I play one note, one note in itself doesn't have harmony. And uh, eventually people were singing two notes at the same time. When you have two notes at the same time, that's what we call harmony. So then uh, in jazz, we have that a lot. Like, for example, an instrumentalist soloing and a bass player uh, playing a bass line. That is a two-point, uh, two-voice counterpoint uh, harmony. And so, for example, a melody with a bass line, that is counterpoint as well, you know? So in jazz, you have that kind of two-voice counterpoint. And in classical music, we're used to thinking of Bach. We're used to thinking of two-part inventions. And um, lots of Bach is very much uh, the counterpoint master. And so eventually, they got to three voices at the same time. So what happens with three voices at the same time? You have one note, two notes, and a third note. When we play three notes, we usually have this thing called a triad. Here, I'm going to change my phone to, so that you can see on the piano. I can change the view here. All right. So this is a C triad. C, E, and G. C, E, and G. This is a major triad. And then we have a minor triad. And for, for you guys who are uh, not musicians, one of the great ways to show this difference is by playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Now if I play a minor version, it sounds very dark and very different. So that's the difference between major and minor. But even with just those three notes, we can also create another chord called a suspended chord. So in, in, instead of having 
C, E, and G, I can take this E note and move it to F. Normally, this E note is called the third. You have one, two, three, four, five in the scale of C. So if I play one, four, five, that's a suspension. If I play one, two, five, that is also a suspension. And that's one example that they can be used in order to create musical ideas. Right, so one, harmony has a lot of tools that we can utilize to practice music and to create melodies. One of these things are inversions. So let's say I have the C triad, and I take this bottom note and I move it an octave higher over here to the top. So now we have here. This is called the first inversion. Now, the cool thing about first inversion is that it sounds like you're at home, but not really. You, it wants to go somewhere. Right? And then you can have second inversion, where I'm here, I was here, and then I take this one and put it on top here. So now I have G, C, and E. That also feels kind of at home. But you can, when you change it, it's, it's got this really awesome quality because you can make these deceptive things where it sounds like you're arriving home but you're not really fully there until you have your your actual root of your chord so And so just with chords, with triads, major and minor triads and inversions, you can create all these different emotions. And these inversions help create different feelings and emotions. So, you know, like. So whenever I'm talking to students, I highly encourage them to explore inversions and different chords and how to move through them using different inversions of chords. Okay, so what happens after that? After we have the major triad, uh, at some point we discover the dominant chord. What is the dominant chord? It's when you play one, two, three, four, five, and a flat seven. And the, that's what created voice leading. You have these two notes here. These two notes want to move inward. And that's what creates tonality as we know it. When we are Whenever we are listening to a piece of music, we know where it's going because of this dominant chord. That too has inversions. Because there's four notes in this one, there's four inversions. Root, first, second and third inversion so as many notes as you have you have as many different inversions of a chord so not only does this create uh does this create voice leading it also creates 
the harmony from which jazz is derived. So basically we added an extra third on the top. So then if we do that to our major chord, you have a major seven chord. Wow. Then we, but what if we did that to a minor chord? You have a minor seven chord. And uh, so that's how the uh, jazz theory, jazz harmony is really an extension of classical harmony. Okay, so once we have these four notes, we derive all basic chords from jazz. You have from no flats, we're gonna increase flats. We're here, we have a major seven, then we have a dominant with a flat seven. Then we have a minor seven. Then we have a minor seven flat five, also called the half diminished. And then when we flat this seven one more time, we have the fully diminished. And then as we talked before about the sus chords, you also have sus chords. So those are the six basic uh, buckets of chords. The first five are used much more than the sus chords in jazz, uh, especially for the Great American Songbook. Uh, but as you get progressing in jazz, more different harmony is being utilized. All right, so these first five buckets have tell you almost everything you need to know to learn a standard. Okay, so maybe we're here. Now, that was the melody, those were the chords, but those chords don't sound very good, do they? It sounds like we're playing like rockabilly. And, and jazz doesn't sound like that. You hear more sounds like, like this. But I'm playing the same five buckets or six buckets of chords. How do you get to the point where you can make a chord like this sound like this. And that's where voicing comes into play. And so in, when, you have, uh, when you have a chord, you have 12 notes to choose from, right? Because we have 12 notes in, the, in uh, Western music. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12. Those are our 12 notes that we have to use. And so in Western music, you can use any of these notes in any chord, and it gives you a sound. And so the first thing I do is that I'd like to categorize these sounds if they sound good or bad to my ear right off the bat. So let's play my C major seven chord. And I'll start with the first note. Okay, that's consonant. That's dissonant. That's consonant. Dissonant. Consonant. Dissonant. Consonant. Consonant. That's dissonant. Consonant. Dissonant. Consonant. So basically I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven notes that sounded very good, that I could play at any time with that chord and make a nice sound. And of those seven notes, four of them are already in my chord. C major seven, we have C, E, G, and B natural, right? We built this off of the major scale, building a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The first one, three, five, and seven of the C major scale 
which is all the white notes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and again it repeats. So from here, I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven notes. That sounded good. One note is not in the scale, but it sounds really good. And of those seven notes, four of them already in my chord. So I basically have the second, or if you play it an octave above your bass, it's called the ninth, or the sharp four. And if you play it a, an octave above your bass, it's called the sharp 11. And the sixth, or if you play it an octave above the bass, it's called the 13. But you know, we can play every note on the piano and make it sound good with a chord if we know how to work with those two tools that we were talking about, voice leading and inversions. How about, how can I add the, the D flat and the E flat to make it sound good? How about this chord right here? It doesn't sound super like crazy. Like I play way crazier chords than that, you know, versus. And you can resolve the tension inside of it. And, when, and that's what we mean by voice leading. Where are the voices going? What if I tried another chord that had the, the C sharp and also the E, e flat? Maybe. That has a C major seven, then a D major seven, and then an E major seven. And they're almost, they look like thirds stacked upon each other. But it sounds great to me. And it's a matter of how you move through the chords, how you voice them, and, what, and, and how the melodies for each one. You see, in the days of Bach, you had individual voices singing. didn't have a piano like we know it today with these beautiful keys and sounds they had some very primitive predecessor of them. they hadn't even agreed on which notes should be included in the western repertoire of music uh, and so as the temperament equal temperament of of the 12 tones came about people were still singing and creating music from it so then from there, when I'm trying to learn voicings, uh, I tell, or when I'm teaching voicings, I tell my students to start with the least amount as possible. So we can start with two notes. So this is four notes. Well, we have the bass. Let's say we're playing with the bass player or we're the bass player. So that's one note. And then of the other three notes of major seven, of C major seven, which notes do we need to tell us that this is a major seven, right? We have E and B natural. We need those two notes to tell us. If we just have C and G, we don't know which one's B natural. We don't know if this is a C major chord, a C minor chord, a dominant seven, we have no idea what it is. So we need E and B to tell us what it is. So we start there. So we have C on the bass and E and B. Okay, excellent. So where do we go from there? So then we start with inversions. So we have two notes here, so we invert it here. Okay, so then we can practice this for all the keys. We can start, we can do it chromatically. can do for the other voicing with the other inversion here okay and then 
to create, to practice voice leading, we use a tool called the circle of fits. Do you guys know what the circle of, can you see this? Yes. Can you, the circle of fits is when we take a note, let's say C, and then we put all the pitches in a circle in a fifth of each other. So we go C, one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. So that was C, G, D. One, two, three, four, five. That's A. And we go all, all, all until we get through all 12 notes. So we have a circle. And so to practice voice leading between these chords, let's say we want to make these chords, a C major seven chord and a G major seven chord and a D major seven chord and A major seven chord. We'll take right here. And to get the G, we have to take the third and the seventh. So we only have to move one note to get there. So we go C, G. Then from G to D major seven, only using the third and the major seven, we need to move one note here. So we were here, C, G, D. Okay, and now from D to A, we just have to move one note. So we're inverting inversions. We start seven on the bottom and three on top. Then we move to three on the bottom, seven on top. Then seven, three, three, seven. And, and you're like inching by to get through each key. Right? And so on and so forth. And so that's going this way, clockwise. Well, we can also do that counterclockwise. We start with C major seven, and to get to F major seven, we only have to move one note. And from F major seven to B flat major seven, we move this note. And so on and so forth. So that forces us to go through inversions to create a smooth transition from one chord and the other. And by voice leading, we go, we literally mean what happens to each voice as they move. So we go, and to this voice, if I were just to repeat the same voicing for each one of this, the voicing would be, the voice would be da, 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 right? It would, it would jump around. Oh, you would go here, you would go here, and then to the F sharp, and then to the D sharp, and then to the G sharp. Whoops, that one was right, not right. Um, so that's why we use inversions to help stay in the same realm that we were before. And we can do that for every chord type. So let's, we're talking about the next chord type would be uh, dominant chords. We need, what are the two essential notes for, to tell us that a chord is a dominant chord? All right, we have the third and the dominant seven. The fifth doesn't tell us if it's major or minor, doesn't tell us anything about the quality of the chord. Okay, so now we have third, seventh root, and if we were to move this through the cycle here, let's go this way, we would do C7 to G7, to D7, to A7. And every time, what these voices do is that for this particular chord, the voices move chromatically. Third to seven, seven, three, three, seven, seven, three, three, seven, seven, three. Otherwise, they jump around and they go. And instead of doing that, 
we go we treat it like a soprano voice and an alto voice with a defined range or a tenor or a bass voice each one has a range and you don't want to violate those ranges for them so that they can actually sing it now you can do it the other way around so that now it's going to go down you're going to f b flat e flat a flat d flat f sharp b natural okay and you can do that for all the chords every chord move it one way Move it clockwise in the circle of fifths and move it counterclockwise in the circle of fifths. And that forces you to move through different inversions of the chords. All right. So then jazz is based entirely on the circle of fifths, it seems like. Um, we have clockwise and counterclockwise. When we go from G to C, that's called a perfect cadence right you go when you have a when you go clockwise from f to c that's called a plagal cadence And in jazz, we always move in the perfect direction, it seems like. And we're always moving here. If, let's say our goal is to end up at C. This is our goal to end here. And we can make this a two chord, and this is a five chord, and a two chord, and a five chord. So make it a minor seven to a dominant seven, minor seven, dominant seven, minor seven, dominant seven, and then we get home. It would sound something like this. Whoops. And that sounds like 95% of jazz. And that's where it comes from. That's where, it, you know, they chose that movement because it sounds good because you're going from a five to a one. And that movement is that perfect cadence that Bach pioneered that was so great. And so then, but what if we went the other way? What if we started moving this way? What would that do? So let's say we went from A flat to E flat, to B flat, to F, to C. That sounds like, that sounds like uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So that's a lot that sounds that could be like Keith Jarrett doing those things but that's a perfectly acceptable way of moving through chords and getting to the one the same way that is this way so when you're thinking about chord substitutions and thinking about how to go about to arriving at a point at a chord you can't you you don't you don't have to think about the perfect side you can also think about the plagal side of the circle of fifths and go in that direction. So that is something that I think is really cool and worth uh, looking at. Okay, so now, how do we voice these chords? Okay, we have C major seven. We have our notes that sound consonant and our notes that sound dissonant. So most of the time we focus on the consonant notes because we want our chords to sound good. So we go C, we have our E and our B, and we go, okay, the first note was, all right, we already have that here. Either the bass player is playing that note or we're playing that note in the bottom. So 
you, we're not going to play that again. We're going to try not to double any notes. When you don't double notes, when you reduce how many notes you double, you increase the amount of spectrum you have. You have 12 notes to choose from. And if you play all 12 of them, you're getting the richest possible harmonic uh, overtones that you can get. But when you're playing a lot of them, the same notes, it's not as harmonic. You don't get that feeling, that nice. If I played the same two chord twice in a row versus two different chords, you get much more of the spectrum. So now we talked about having inversions, voice leading, and doubling. So we're going to try not to double notes. So we're here, and we're going to try our next consonant notes. How about here? That sounds nice. I like that. So we can do the same thing, take that voicing. Now we have three note voicing. We're going to take that voicing and practice it through the circle of fits. One way, do it the other way. Okay, let's try our next consonant note. Okay, we have E, B, and E, but we're doubling E, so we're not going to play that. Okay, next one. Oh, that sounds very nice. I like that. So we can do the same thing. Take that voicing, practice it. All, and also, what I didn't mention for the previous chord was to do the inversions. So I start with inverting the essential third and seven, and then figuring out where to place the extra note. Maybe here. If I'm arranging, maybe I'll put the extra note here. And I like, I really like the sound of having a ninth, having, uh, having to harmony with two notes and a chord, especially at the top and the bottom, because then you can, you can do very cool lines in between. You sandwich the rest. started here just by having the harmony a ninth apart. Um, okay, so then now let's do our next one. So then we can do inversion. We can do it here. We can do it here. Let's see what that sounds like. That's okay. It's, this is so far apart that we're kind of losing some of that. So maybe it's better to have it here. Now, one thing I don't like to do is to have the extra notes below the essential notes. If I have the F sharp here instead of here, then I have this. That doesn't sound like a major seven chord with a sharp 11. That sounds like a dominant chord to me, like, a, like an A flat sharp nine or a D7, D13. That would be a really out kind of a major. But if you're going for that sound, then you know you have that tool. So I always like to add all the essential stuff above the third and the seventh. Okay, so then we have the fifth. That sounds great. We can do it here. We can do it there. This time it doesn't sound so bad when you have the fifth below because it's part of the core of what a C major seven is. So that doesn't bother me uh, as much as the F sharp here. Okay, the next one, A. Yeah, that sounds good. I like that. We can put the E here. And now we have fourths. This is a common chord in bossa nova. Okay, next. In our B, we are, we are 
going to skip our B because we're you're already playing it. So basically, of those seven notes, we only really need one, two, three, four because we're already playing three of them. So only four of them we really use to create those sounds on top. So we have one, two, three, and four for our uh, three note voicings, right? Okay, but don't forget about the other ones. They're not popular because they don't sound good, but that doesn't mean that we can't utilize them. So how can we make these notes sound good? What can we do? We can move them around. So when you, when you play the chord and release it, if a chord doesn't sound good, it's either not used correctly, like in the right context, or it's not voiced correctly in a way. What if I put it like this? What if I put that note here? It sounds less than, it sounds less uh, dissonant than it did here. Here it sounds less, isn't it? Oh, if I add the sharp 11 to that, does that make it less dissonant? Hey, yeah. hey, hey John, we just lost your picture. Whoops. How about now? There we go. We got it back. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Excellent. Right. Or how about this one? How can we make that E flat sound good? You can make that E flat sound good by delaying resolution. So then if you decide that you're never going to use these notes because they sound quote unquote bad, then you limit yourself to how many colors you can create. Right. So and how about this one? Wow, you can play it instead of the fifth. That sounds really cool. That's a different way to use this note. Now this one's so um, this the this is called the major seven with a sharp five or a flat six. That's a little bit more common than would be using a D flat or an E flat in a major seven chord. But um, I still I think all the notes are worth exploring and trying to figure out how to make them fit. How about a B flat? So that's one thing, how to create chords to make them sound prettier or use the colors in a way that the farther apart the dissonance are, the less dissonant they sound. The closer they are together, the more dissonant they sound. You could almost play anything if they're that far apart. Sounds great to me. Just a C triad and an A triad. But if I play here, it's not as pretty anymore. So that's another tool. Distance, how far apart you're putting the crunchy note to make them sound good. Okay, and same with the minor sevens, right? We have C minor seven. We have the essential notes here. And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to move the other notes, uh, go through other notes. And we can do that with all the different chords. 
So uh, once we get to four note voicings, three note voicings, we start seeing more of the common patterns of jazz harmony. Uh, because, because the circle of fifths is used so much, we use a lot of chords in this way. Two, five, one, D minor, G7 to C. And so uh, the way that I like to voice these is by taking these essential notes and maybe one more note, the ninth, for example, and I'll play the D minor, D in my left hand. You can't see it, here it is, like that. And then to get to a G7, I just have to move the C to a B natural. Now I have a G7 here with the 13 on the top. And then I move all these three notes one way down here to get a C6-9. Right, so that's how I practice two five ones. get through all the keys that way so that's one then I invert it I go here I put my third my seven and my third here the D here I'll use a third note on top I'll usually do the fifth for example to get to the G7 I just have to move this note to a B natural and then to get to the six nine chord an inversion of the six nine I just move this F here to the E so can do that in all the different keys so that those if you have those two basic uh, shells then everything is at, at your reach because when you're talking about uh, doing uh, the upper extensions of a chord like we were let's say for the for the dominant chord we want to play the flat nine or the sharp nine or the sharp 11 or the flat 13 for the G7 chord, everything's right there. You have the flat nine, sharp, flat nine, sharp nine, sharp 11, flat 13, all right there. And then you use those as voice leadings. So then you have okay great so then that's why i always use these because they give you it's for for this you have your sharp nine flat nine flat 13 sharp 11 all right there kind of in this nice range and you can you don't have to move a lot jumping you can use your inversions to go from one voice from here then I go back to the other one top second one and so I'm moving through these structures the first one second one and then all your everything else you need is there same with minor two five ones you have your i i for the minor three i use the first one and I like to use where the seventh is on the bottom. I like to use here. This, this inversion here, I only use when the melody allows for you to play 
and ninth. Most of the time, the ninth, sometimes the ninth sounds too hip and it, and it takes away from the melody. So I'm playing a D minor, D half diminished to a G flat 13 to a C minor 6. So I might do that, but most of the time I'll do here, root position, a dominant chord with a flat 13, and a minor 6 chord. When you use the minor 6 chord, you sound at home. Just like when you use a major seven chord. When you use the minor seven chord, you don't sound at home the same. It's not like... It's, it sounds like it wants to go here. It sounds like a two chord. Until it gets to a major chord. Then it sounds like you're at home. But in the... So I, I like to use the 6-9 chord or a 6 chord when, when the key is minor. Um, okay, so then the next thing is uh, the other inversion of that, where I have the 7th on the bottom. I love this. I just love the sound of it. And then to move to the 5 chord, from a D half diminished to a G7. I just have to move this thumb over here. And then here's my minor sixth chord. I have the third, the fifth, and the sixth. And I can add the nine. And again, same principle supply you go from one inversion to the next. This inversion. Second, then root position. All right, excellent. So then uh, sus chords. I love sus chords. I feel like that's my like to go thing. Whenever I need to make a chord sound interesting, I just sus it. Like makes it so much more rich. And so a basic sus chord is basically this. With the fifth, right? And then we add the minor sevens on top. That's a, a sus, a seven sus, four. And you can add all the other extensions that we have, like a nine, an 11, a 13, Voice it when you voice it like that. It sounds like uh, it sounds like a minor chord on top of a different root. So you can play like a G minor seven over a C, and that's your that's your sus nine. Now I, I I'm sorry I misspoke with the eleventh. The eleventh is the sus chord. So you're just repeating the sus. The sus is basically taking the third and moving it in one direction or the other. Not the minor third because that's a minor chord, but you're taking the third and you're tricking it into a non-chord tone, tone, like an F or a D here. Right? And so then you can add the ninth and the thirteenth. It gives you that really cool kind of modern jazz sound that Herbie Hancock uh, so beautifully played in so many of his records. And so uh, the cool thing about sus chords is you can you can play flat nines on that. When we have a flat nine, it's like a G minor seven, flat five, but G half diminished over C. So all my G half diminished licks, I play over a C, C7 sus with flat nine. And again, the same principle that applies to all the chords apply to this one, which that every note is explorable. Uh, you just have to 
find a way to make it sound good. Can you play a major third and the sus together? Absolutely. that sounded kind of cool to play the flat nine on a major chord um, f i used f and c in the bottom and a d and f sharp there and it you know by using the sixth instead of the major seven and because it's so far away from the root it doesn't sound as as uh, dissonant. So um, another another one that doesn't get explored very much is this using a two as a sus. You usually use hear this or see this in pop music. In jazz, it would be very cool to have one, two, five. How about the major seven? No major third. No major third there. You can add the major third on top if you want. And when you use this chord in parallel, I think it sounds super hip. take that thing and add a different bass note to it. Let's say we're uh, here. What happens if this is like a G uh, with a major seven? G to sus with a major seven. And we add a C on the bass. Okay, let's add a D flat. Kind of cool. And add a D. Now we have a D for sus with a major seven. How about a D flat? In the right context, that could be a really cool crunchy chord. How about an E? I love that sound. Like the, it's a minor chord essentially. With the 11th, the 11th would be as a four right here in the middle. Okay, and you can do that for all the notes. Cool, that's cool. Here you're you're doubling the top note in the bottom. We, we talked about not doubling notes, except when you play them like as a block chord, it sounds beautiful. And then you can drop this an octave. And it creates a really cool tension for, for like writing, you know, music and arranging things in a different way. Hey, hey John. John. Yeah. Hey, we're we're yes. getting, uh, we're getting close. I wanted to give you a a, a um, I wanted to interrupt you and let you know we have a couple minutes. We probably are over by a couple of minutes, but I wanted to um, I wanted to give a few announcements and turn it back over to you for some closing thoughts on however yeah. you wanted to close it out. I I also wanted to let um, our participants today know that you're going to be back with us and you're going to be yes. back with us on June 9th. June 16th and June 23rd on some really cool topics, all of which can be viewed at clearwaterjazz.com slash education, where you can see all of the upcoming topics brought yeah. to you for free by the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. Uh, there's also some great sessions this week. Um, Alejandro Arenas will be with us tomorrow on a topic oh, great. he's calling uh, bass sound from pickups and amps to technique and more. We have James Suggs with us on Wednesday on trumpet with improving your technique. 
Uh, Dwayne White is also, so it's a week of trumpets. Dwayne White's with us on Wednesday with using melody in improvisation. Uh, Butch Thomas is with us on saxophone on Thursday, learning head charts, beginning jazz standards, part one. And Mark Feynman is with us on Thursday as well, exploring triplets, comping, soloing, and coordination on drums. Um, and these things are booked well into the uh, mid part to end of June, and we're adding more sessions each day. So while the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation awaits its fate later in the year with the music festival, which helps to support all of these different outreach programs, we're doing our part to be creative and bring some value and some meaningful experiences like these and others to the community. So please visit our Clearwater Jazz Outreach page to learn how to join all of those other sessions. And if you are so inclined, consider a donation to the foundation to help us expand the reach. I'm very excited and inspired by this particular ad adaptation of our Young Lions program and grateful that you, John, and others are participating. In just a couple of weeks, we have had nearly 300 participants and have supported about 12 different Tampa Bay area musicians. So we're very proud of that. And uh, for those that are participating, if you'd like to support and help, please go to the website, donate. And also uh, we thank our other partners that help us expand the reach of these sessions and other programs like the Al Downing Tampa Bay Jazz Association and the Pinellas Realtor Organization and others who believe in the mission. So, uh, John, I thank you. I'm going to turn it back over to you and let you kind of close out with whatever topic you want. But th thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here. And thank you to the Clearwater Jazz Holiday for supporting all these musicians during this time. And um, thank you so much for being here. Please support the other musicians. Come see them. Donate to the foundation so that we can keep doing more of these. Um, there's lots of great musicians doing these things. Um, I'll be back on June 9th doing piano technique and jazz on June 16th, uh, developing a language for improvisation. Uh, that's more about like how I transcribe and how I, uh, how I think about learning new material for improvising. Uh, on June 23rd, I'm doing a how to develop rhythmic ideas for improvisation. That's one that I'm really excited about because that's for all musicians. And we just sing and clap and try to really mess each other up with finding very weird and cool rhythmic ideas that uh, we can practice to expand our vocabulary. Um, so just to recap really, really quickly, the most important tools that I think we have in harmony are one, using inversions uh, to create different colors and different emotions and textures. A second one is to think about voice leading, um, where each note is going and where it's coming from. So it starts here, the, it, the voice moves this way, and then it goes there. And if you can map out where each note was going to and from as an individual singer, you're really thinking about voice leading. Okay, the third one was about thinking about all the notes that we decide to play and we decide not to play. When we just play the, the notes that sound pretty, that are already uh, consonant, we create very stock sounds that anybody can come and play. And to we want to create uh, our sound and what we like and we find interesting. And by exploring, uh, by exploring notes that wouldn't necessarily sound right and finding a way to fit them in there, you start creating all these different possibilities for palette, for texture. Um, and thinking about the circle of fits and how chords move in one direction towards the circle of fits or you know the perfect side, and then thinking about the plagal side. Um, I could sit here and talk about so many more cool things in harmony. There's so much, I, I love this stuff. And so I thank you guys so much for staying with me for over an hour you guys are troopers and you're the best if you guys have any questions uh for about any of this material feel free to reach out to me on facebook or instagram or uh, whatever i'm on everything i can also give you my email and i love to talk about this stuff and would be happy to um 
clarify anything. So thank you again for being here with me. And I hope to see you uh, next week on the 16th for Develop a Language for Improvisation. Thank you, guys. Thank, Have a great day. Thank you so much, John. You are first class, my friend. And uh, oh, always, go, always go above and beyond with everything you do. And we could sit here listening to you for hours. And we can't wait for you to come back and join us on these other sessions. And, you know, thanks for being part of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday family of musicians that are helping to do great things. I didn't even mention, but you participate in many of the programs that we deliver in the community, like our My Journey with Jazz program. Oh, yes. In the, uh, in the more economically challenged pockets of our community, uh, helping to teach the history of jazz and other programs, too, like this. So we're grateful for that, John. And we oh, just thank uh, you. We can't wait to see you again soon. And thanks for the wonderful session today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This podcast series is presented by our friends at Marine Max Clearwater. To watch the video of this full session, please visit the education and outreach page at clearwaterjazz.com and click on the studio. You can also learn more about the annual Clearwater Jazz Holiday Music Festival tradition and Clearwater Jazz Holiday's year-round education and outreach at clearwaterjazz.com.